0: Welcome to the latest word from the church at Severn Run. Our church is located in Severn, Maryland, and is easily accessible from anywhere in the D.C. Baltimore area. You can subscribe for regular updates, or check in weekly for the latest information by using our website, SevernRun.com. Thank you for visiting. And now, today's message. Father God, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would help each one of us to identify uh, our turning points and, God, that we would make decisions. Uh, God, in the next day, the next week, Lord, but from here on that we would learn to handle our turning points in a way that would radically change not only our lives but dramatically impact the lives of, of the community around us for the better. Father, help us to realize we have a choice. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. On July 2nd, uh, 1863, uh, Gettysburg had been joined. Uh, the Union had been caught something uh, by surprise. Uh, the invasion of the North by the Confederate Army itself was a bit of a mess, uh, but it was being joined unintentionally uh, there at Gettysburg. On that day, um, in amidst all the confusion and the communication, which is a challenge still in a modern uh, battlefield, uh, the extreme left of the line had been basically left untended. Little Round Top uh, basically had been empty. It was discovered through some, some good leadership that the far left flank was open and, and it was attended to by a regiment from Maine led by... Um, by a, a man named Chamberlain. Um, Chamberlain was from uh, a ragtag sort of group of, of uh, soldiers gathered from Maine. There was no county uh, that gathered to send them off. There was no city that bore their name. They were just kind of some of the extras that um, uh, were, were gathered together and, and made a unit. There were 1,600 of them when they started. By the time the battle was joined, there was 261. And added to their strength were 120 mutineers, men who were under the threat of death if they disobeyed. And Chamberlain was given permission to shoot them if they refused their duty um, because they were, they were in an argument about when their, when their service was to be up after a two or three year um, sign up. Chamberlain knew that he couldn't shoot 120 men and go home to Maine uh, very well. So he explained the situation and put them in the line. So here is this unit that is, on the extreme left flank. Chamberlain was told, you must hold the left flank. You must hold this at all costs. If this falls, the Union uh, army will be, will be rolled up. And so the battle was joined. The battle raged as the Confederates charged up the hill again and again and again. And each time, the 360-plus men uh, began to... Uh, be weaker with uh, casualties kia and wounded and and towards the the end of the battle in the middle of the day the center began to fold and an andrew uh, Tozier, uh, who was the color sergeant of the um, of the regiment uh, saw that the center of the line folding and he made a turning point decision Color sergeant was the man who uh, raised the flag, rallied to the flag, and if you can imagine the slaughter of the Civil War, where you stood line to line, facing uh, lead, uh, you didn't take cover, you didn't, you know, get behind a tree, you, you were exposed, and the color sergeant was the guy who held the flag at times, and no weapon, no weapon other than the the rally to the flag, as the center began to fold and the the weakened regiment began to collapse. Uh, This Medal of Honor winner rallied the troops and they held the center. Again, the Alabama regiments from the Confederate charged up the hill, and again they suffered casualties, and things began to just become untenable. Um, The left flank was going to fall. Chamberlain Uh, had been wounded, uh, hit twice by this point, once in the hip with his sword, and then he had a a wound in his foot. And the men now had gathered all the ammunition, uh, but were still running out. Things were in a dire, bleak situation, not just for their own battle, which is bad enough, but again, the fate of the entire Union army rested on what happened there. At this point, another uh, man in the colored guard, uh, uh, Melker, um, said, look, we need to rally the colors. Uh, We're about out of ammunition, and we need to to go out and get our wounded who've fallen. So we need to expose ourselves to rescue these other men who are there. And basically, Chamberlain said, uh, we're going to charge. And he said one word, as the men were badly outnumbered, the, the regiment absolutely decimated, Uh, No hope of sustaining and repelling another charge uh, because there was no ammunition left. And and as things were in the most critical of all possible situations, Chamberlain did the counterintuitive thing that changed the day. It was a turning point not only for his regiment, but for the battle of that day, for the entire Union Army, and ultimately for the war. Chamberlain yelled, bayonet. And all in the noise of battle, men knew what that meant. And so men put their bayonets on their, their muskets, their rifles, and they began to charge downhill in a right-wheeling flanking motion against a superior enemy. And the stunned enemy reeled and surrendered And there were times when when up to a hundred men were guarded by a man carrying an empty rifle. A turning point decision. Simple reality is that all of us face turning point decisions all the time. All the time. And if we learn to manage our turning points our lives will become forever more and the lives of those around us will become forever more or forever less if we don't learn to manage and identify our turning point decisions. Let me walk through some turning point just uh, principles and realities because this whole series we're going to be talking about turning points. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about turning points when life offers bad. What do you do? How do you handle it? Turning point decisions need to be identified and owned. You need to realize that that you have a choice in every situation, in every crisis, in every moment, uh, in every season of life. Turning point decisions can be big or little. They can be huge in, in the sense that Chamberlain's was, where he realized, I have a decision to make that is going to make the difference between my men living or dying, this hill being lost or won, this, this battlefield uh, being held, or us being swept off. Sometimes the turning point decisions can be, can be very internal and... Um, and and very quiet, but they will always lead to bigger turning point decisions. Turning point decisions can be internally motivated or externally driven. In other words, you can just realize, I need to, to make a decision at this moment. Or circumstances can conspire around you that you have no choice, but you must make a decision. Turning point decisions are often inspired by pain, but they don't have to be. It's been said that we often do not see the light until we feel the heat. But that doesn't have to be the case. Um, If you're suffering an addiction, you don't have to wait till your life completely falls apart. Uh, You can make a turning point decision prior to um, driving off the the bridge. If you're tempted towards the affair or are in the affair, you you don't have to follow this track through uh, to the deadest of dead ends. You You can make a decision here and now before disaster strikes. Turning point decisions are heavily influenced by feelings. You need to realize that that turning point decisions are often just made in the the heat and the noise and the the fury of these these raging emotions. Uh, In in Chamberlain's point, it was fear. When you've seen people die horribly all around you, when you see people horribly wounded, um, the emotion of fear and self-preservation is understandably just huge. Your turning point decisions may need to be made in the face of overwhelming despair, in the face of of, of just absolute loneliness. They need to be may need to be um, made in, in in the heat of, of lust and passion. They may need to be made um, in in the face of anger or or the, the, the desire for revenge, but but often turning point decisions are made in the fog of of white hot emotion. And we often have to choose encourage courage against what we feel. Turning point decisions um, uh, give us hope because we do have a choice. And in so much of life, we feel like we're just subject to fate. We just feel like we're, we're subject to external uh, influences and, and things happening to us that we have no choice about. That's a lie. We have a choice. And every one of our decisions makes a difference, and, and, and it gives us hope because you need to know it's never too late to let love win. It's never too late in your life to let love win. Turning point decisions make us responsible. Responsible is the word response-able, able to respond. And again, you may think, I have no choice But you do have a choice. You are able because God has given you a free will and you can choose. And I'm going to tell you today how you can make turning point decisions. Turning point decisions make or break life. Every good place that you have been in life was the result of you making some turning point decision that was courageous. That that took guts. that, That chose against what you felt in the moment. I can remember one little turning point decision in my life was when it came to college. I went to a high school that didn't really encourage anybody to go to college, uh, neither of my parents went to college. Um, you know, they, they valued education such as it was, but they didn't really, you know, actively encourage. And, and, and so here I am, um, and I certainly have no money for college, and I have no adult encouraging me to, to, to college. And yet, I felt the whisper of the Spirit saying, you got to go. And I'm going, I, I can't. I, there's no way I, I can afford it. And, and I had a turning point decision to, 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 to make of whether I gave in to my fear and to the realities of zero dollars or whether I just went. And it changed everything as I learned about the provision of God. Every bad place that <clears throat> you've ever been in in your life... <laughs> was a result of a turning point decision. In high school, being in the car um, with three other drunk athletes, I was not drunk. um, I was crazy to be in the car with them. To be in the car with three drunk people and one very drunk uh, driver was a bad decision on my part and it could have ended even more badly. But I made the decision to get into that car And every bad decision, every bad place you've ever been, is because at some point at a crossroads, you took the path that led you to where you ended up. So guys, I want to say again, if you and I will learn to manage our turning point decisions... We will have a huge uh, ability to, to lead a life that is up, a life that is, that is more, a life that is better. If we continue just to be emotion-driven, if we continue to be helpless, if we continue to, to live without hope, um, without power in our lives, then, then basically we are adrift in life and are going to be driven uh, by, by the winds of circumstances and feeling and other people's decisions, good or bad. But I'm here today to tell you that you can manage your turning point decisions. And today I'm going to give you a way to, to handle those fork in the road moments, those crossroads uh, seasons, those, those turning point decisions that will change everything in your life if you'll listen today from this point forward. You see, when life goes bad, as it often does, life offers us bad. We have a decision to make. What am I going to do with the bad? And the natural, um, you know, uncourageous response to bad coming into your life is just to let things go bad. Bad brings bad. You know, I, I, the other day I was a, a little bit depressed and, and so, so I'm a little bit depressed and I'm sitting there in front of the television, which is a great thing to do when you're depressed. <laughs> and uh, another Holocaust uh, thing comes on about Auschwitz, you know. Well, I'm, I'm pretty up on, I've, I've read a ton, I, I think it's, we have a responsibility to know uh, our, our story and, and the story of man, and, but I'm sitting there depressed, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm, you know, just kind of reeling from some bad things that have happened, and there I begin to just soak in all the bad of Auschwitz once again, you know, I know the story, I've probably even seen this documentary before, and I'm just sitting there going, this is not what your heart needs right now. When the bad happens in your life, I'm just telling you the natural response to bad is just to let bad spill over your heart, your life, your vision like ink uh, to, to blot out everything else in life. Today, the way that you and I can learn to manage our turning points is this, is that when life offers bad, when life is going bad, you go to the good of God and you soak in the presence of Jesus. This is the only answer there is. And our lives are, are like these, these sponges. And, and, and they are dry and they are brittle and, and, and outside of the presence of God, they, they, they're useless. But when we go into the presence of God and we, we soak in the presence of God, something amazing happens to our lives. We are filled with grace we, we respond to other people and grace comes out of us. Uh, the love of God comes out of us. And, and life is completely different, not only for us, but for the people around us. Did you know that when, when you let hell reign in your heart, that you also bring hell into your home and into the hearts of the people around you? Too many of you dads are bringing hell into your home. Too many of you moms are are a channel for for hell to to be used to, to, um, you know, to to, to hurt. And when when life goes bad, go to good. You've got a choice. Go to the good of God and soak in the presence of Jesus. I want to tell you a story that is the key to Jesus' life. It is is not the, the way that we typically read the story. It's not the typical thing that we notice in the story. But I believe... That this is the key to everything that Jesus ever did uh, throughout his whole life. Here's how Jesus managed his turning point decisions. This is a story in Matthew 14, 1 through 13, um, of of John the Baptist being murdered um, by by Herod. Now, who was John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist was a relative. He was Jesus' cousin. But he was not only a relative... He was Jesus' friend, probably his closest friend, probably the one person on planet earth who understood the mission of Jesus more than any other. In fact, John and Jesus were so linked that when Jesus' pregnant mother and John's pregnant mother... Uh, came into the same room and the name of Jesus was mentioned that John leapt in his womb at the mention of the name of Jesus. We talked about the power of that last week, remember? I don't know if you've ever been lonely, but it's a horrible feeling. Um, And I don't know if you've ever felt like nobody understands you. um, And that's a horrible feeling too. But if you're Jesus, nobody really does understand you. (laughs) You know, I mean, they don't. Nobody gets it. Isn't this uh, the son of, uh, you know, the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Don't we know his brothers and, we, and his sisters? We, we heard last week. Nobody, nobody knew who Jesus really was. Nobody understood him except for John. And so here's Jesus alone in the world, save essentially for one person who, who gets it. And as Jesus contemplates his future, he watches what happens to John. At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus and he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist that is risen from the dead, that's why his miraculous powers are at work within him. Now the backstory: story. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Um, For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. In other words, uh, Herod, uh, being uh, drunk with power, uh, basically being able to have any woman he wants, wants his brother's wife, uh, because we always want what we can't have. And what we do have, we downplay, you know, uh, the stupidity of sin, the insanity of sin. And so he takes it, for the worst of all reasons, because he can. He takes his brother's wife. And he binds up John. Even in those words, he binds up John, That that means... that he uncomfortably put John in what we would call a stress position. Uh, Not only did he throw him into a filthy dungeon without any plumbing of any kind, not only did he throw them in that dungeon, he he made him miserable where he could not sleep, could not rest, bound up, um, you know, basically tortured. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. On Herod's birthday... The daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased uh, Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. And uh, prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he wasn't distressed because he cared anything about John. He was distressed because this put him in a politically untenable position of killing somebody who was popular with the people. So he had no concern about John. Um, But because of his oath, he ordered that her request be granted. Now I want you to imagine you're to be John. Here you have served God with passion and clarity. There was nothing in it for you. You didn't get rich. Um, You you lived in the wilderness. Uh, John ate locusts and honey. Uh, He was completely just motivated by the interest of Jesus. And what was his reward? Shackles, darkness, filth and loneliness. And then John hears the footsteps coming. And John uh, was, uh, you know, just murdered for the most ridiculous of all reasons um, as a party favor. Not just murdered though, mocked. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Life just brought Jesus bad with that news. The one person who understood him has been uh, just murdered and mocked. His whole message uh, ended by a dancing girl, half naked. And in the death of John... Jesus saw the responsiveness of planet earth to the love of God. And in the death of John, Jesus saw the indifference of the human heart to to the passion of the Father to bring us home. And in the death of John, Jesus saw the heart of humanity and what it would do to him and to his message. Bad just came into Jesus' life, washing over him Like a wave. And here's what Jesus does in verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. What did Jesus go to do? Well, since it's the pattern of his life, we see it again in verse 23. And after sending the people home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray and night fell while he was there alone. What did Jesus do? I believe with all my heart, we know from scripture, Jesus went and soaked in the good of God. He went and he, he immersed his life and all that he felt and all that he was and all that he suffered and all that he was afraid of and all that was ahead of him. And and, and he went and just soaked in the goodness of an infinite God. And, and 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 all the bad of this world and the indifference of the world that had washed over him, was being washed away as Jesus just sat there in the presence of God, hour after hour, being being reminded of of the glory of God, uh, anticipating the the future glory, remembering the past glory, and and the love of God soaking in Jesus' heart, the, the power of God's promise, just the goodness of the Father, all the goodness that God was, was the only thing big enough to overshadow all of the hell of earth that was coming his way. Hallelujah. What do you do when life turns bad? Where do you take your pain? Where do you go for good? Because you see the reality is that that when, when pain comes into your life, um, you're gonna go through, you're gonna go somewhere. When, when pain comes into your life, There is a turning point decision. There is a a fork in the road that that, that happens. And there will be something in your life that you will call good to answer your pain. It may be pornography. It may be that affair. Um, It may be found in a bottle or a can or, or a needle or a joint. Um, But there will be something in your life that you go to, and in your head you're not consciously because you're not identifying this as a turning point, but in your head you're just being driven by the whirlwind of emotion, and and it's just kind of a spiral. Um, You're you're being driven by the whirlwind of emotion, and you're going to go someplace to answer the pain. And even if you go to something bad, in your head you haven't done the work to identify it as bad. In, in your head you're calling it good and you're going there so that you'll feel better, so that the pain will recede, so that, so that you can cannot be suffering as you are. How crazy is it uh, when, the, when the good that you go to is, is really bad and death? And that's... That's the natural choice that we make, is that we respond to the, to the presence of bad coming into our life by going farther and deeper into bad. And guess where that leads? Good places or bad places? Bad. <laughs> you guys are so sharp. <laughs> Jesus, when is soaked in the presence of the good of God, all that God is, all the the, the grace and the power and the majesty and, and the overwhelming awesomeness and the glory of God, Jesus soaked in it. And if you can imagine sort of the, the, the demons of hell raging around and the storms of his own heart and, and all of the, the, the fears and concern, wait, wait, Pastor Drew, Jesus felt fear? You bet he did. When Jesus was on his knees in the garden of Gethsemane, he's sweating drops of blood as he anticipates the cross. Oh, by the way, what was Jesus doing before hell was about to try to do a tap dance on his head? He was soaking in the presence of God for hours, soaking in the presence of all the goodness of the Heavenly Father. And you and I need to learn to identify our turning points. And a key uh, indicator of your turning points is where is your pain? Where do you hurt? Maybe the, the, the bad that you go to is just by shutting other people out and shutting down. You're still calling something good that, that's really bad. Building a wall is bad. And I'm telling you that, that, uh, that I believe with, with all of my heart that a, that a key to, um, to your emotional and spiritual health is what you do with your pain. Where do you take it? You see, the turning point strategy of Jesus' life is profoundly simple. He faced all the evil of the world by soaking in the presence of God. And, And I'm just telling you, this is the simple reality. There is an infinite God who is infinitely good, and infinitely powerful, and infinitely hopeful, and infinitely creative, and infinitely fun, and infinitely joyful, and infinitely everything else good. And He invites you to come into His presence. And he invites you in his presence for his presence to saturate your heart, to heal your brokenness, to heal your woundedness. All of your fears can be answered in the presence of of Jesus. Jesus is the good of God to us. And this is a turning point strategy that will change absolutely everything. Just as it's impossible to stay cold on the sun's surface, it's impossible to stay lost or discouraged, depressed or defeated, uh, self-pitying or hopeless, helpless or anything else in the Father's presence. Again, we're not talking a magic wand instant. When you're frozen cold and you stand in front of the fire, there's a warming process that happens. That's, that's why it takes time. You know, we want instant in this world. What I'm calling you to is a lifetime of, of learning to soak daily in the presence of God. Yes. What I'm calling you that, that will make all the difference, I'm serious, this will change everything in your life. The answer for for all of your turning points from here on in is not you being, you know, strong enough on your own or brave enough or smart enough or courageous enough on your own. It's just for you to make the turning point decision, I'm going to God and I'm going to soak in His presence. In the presence of God, the Scripture says, there's fullness of joy. In the presence of God, we are changed. You remember when Moses went into the presence of God uh, while he's receiving the commandments? He came down and his face glowed oh my gosh yeah. radiating the glory of the presence of god hell wants you to stay in hell Woo. Talk to and actually hell wants you to, to to experience hell your whole life before before ultimately if it can to lead you there forever the presence of God is your answer. It is your healing place. It is your place of joy. It is a place of new. It is a place of next. It is a place of, of hearing uh, God. It is, a place of, it is a place of life. You cannot be cold on the surface of the sun. It can't happen. You, you cannot be miserable soaking in the presence of God. You cannot be self-hating and self-loathing in the presence of God. You cannot, be stay, you cannot stay defeated uh, in the presence of God. You, you cannot be loveless in the presence of God. And, and you know, we, again, we want instant, but this is relationship, this is process, and you can't love in a hurry. It takes time. I want to tell you that the whole problem of our lives is a problem of distance. I, I mean this with all my heart. Listen, please. If you've ever listened to anything that I have said, listen now. You think you have a lot of problems in life. The only problem you have in life is a problem of distance. Distance from the presence of God. Um, I, I uh, and Pastor Chris in our office, we are the only sane people who, you know, um, <laughs> yes, Gwen. The rest of the office staff likes to live in a meat locker. <laughs> Pastor Chris and I will have a heater on, you know, in the summer when, uh, you know, when 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 it's like 57 degrees in our office from the air conditioner. Slight exaggeration, okay? So, so this is my heater that I keep in my office. And, and if I turn the heater on, um, and it's cold. Um, How effective is that heater going to be in warming me? Why? That heater doesn't work. I'm cold. I want to be warm. I can't be warm because that heater's broken and there is no heater and that's a faulty heater. I hate you. <laughs> it's what we do with God. The problem is distance. And when you draw near to God, God does amazing things. Well, Pastor Drew, I'm not good enough. I'm too sinful. I'm too broken. No, 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 no. The good of God is Jesus. And he has provided for all of our sin through the scandal of grace. Ephesians 2.13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought what? Near. Near through the blood of Christ. It's not about being good enough, it's just about believing that you are loved and wanted and and that Jesus actually uh, was so good as to die for you. So I don't have to worry about not being good enough for the presence of God. I'm not, but Jesus is. And so in Him, I can come into the presence of God and and I can soak. Our turning point decision that we have to make today is what we're going to do with the presence of God. And the reality is that in each of our hearts, there is this, this force at work, like, like magnets. You know, we are, we are magnetically drawn to God. But, but there's this sinful side of us that's just like this. And, and you know what? There is a force that's pushing us away from God. I can, I can set this magnet on top of here. And, and it, it had to turn to get there. Which side is going to win? The one that pushes or the one that attracts? And your turning point decision right now is to decide in your life what kind of distance you're going to maintain from God. You don't think you need Him? You're going to maintain the distance. You think you're too bad? You're going to maintain the distance. You, you don't want God messing with, uh, you know, the, the fun that you're having right now? You're going to maintain your distance. You think you're not good enough? You're going to maintain your distance. But the scripture says in James 4, 8, come close to God, and God will come close to you. And this kind of a rebuke to us. It says you've got a turning point decision to make. Wash your hands, you sinners. That's a, 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 a Jewish reference to becoming clean ceremonially. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. You have to make up your mind where you're going to find good. If you think you can find good in sin, if you think you can find good apart from God, then then you're going to maintain the distance. But if you've come to the place in your life where you realize that we live in a fallen, broken, sinful, evil world, and ultimately that good is only found in one place, then you have a choice to make to draw near to God today. All of the problems of my broken past and the healing of my life are answered in one turning point decision, to draw near to the heavenly Father. How far will you keep your heart from the help of heaven through the scandal of grace? How long will you stay out freezing in the cold when Father invites you into the warmth of his presence? How long will you live hopeless outside the presence of hope? How long will you live joyless outside the the radiating presence of God who, who is the God of hope, Romans 15, 13 says. How long will you live defeated outside the presence of the God who's already won the victory? How long will you live angry outside of the God who is the presence of peace? How long will you live alone outside the presence of the God who is family and community and, and eternity together forever? How long will you live down instead of entering the presence of, of up? I'm begging you in Jesus' name, don't live defeated in the distance. Make the choice to go to the good of God through the grace of Jesus Christ and live changed and changing the lives of people around you. You are Chamberlain to your family, to people at work, to people that you don't even know. You are Chamberlain, and your life is Little Round Top, and heaven and hell are, are at war, and the lives of people around you are at stake based on the choices you make. Generationally, you will impact your great-great-grandchildren, the choices you make will impact the generations that follow you. You can quit in fear and die and let the other people around you die. You can charge and courage into the presence of God and be used of God to change your family, your lineage, your world. I'm asking you today to join me in taking a 15-day challenge. It takes a little while to build a habit. And some of you wonder why God is so far away and it's because you never go to him. And so for 15 days, I'm asking for, for 15 minutes of you reading the word of God, the Holy Scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. Gwen, raise your hand. Gwen, Cassandra, they will get you a Bible. Start in the Gospel of John if you know no other place to start. Start in the Psalms and read, Um, and for fifteen minutes, you make the time. You find the time. All of us waste more than thirty minutes of a day. Agreed. All of us waste more than thirty minutes a day, and we can use this thirty minutes to change our destinies. Fifteen minutes a day reading the Word of God with a listening heart. Fifteen minutes a day praying to the Father just talking to God and pouring out the burden of your heart, whatever's real in you, you pour out in the Father's presence. And to join me in this challenge for for the next 15 days. We're going to have some sponges that are going to be up here. Um, And I'm going to ask that you guys would stand And I'm going to ask right now if you would just bow your head and just pray. If you're willing to draw near, would you go to God and just tell Him that? If you're willing to make this commitment, this turning point challenge, just tell Him that. Then I'm going to ask you, just as a symbol of your desire to soak in the good of God, in the presence of Jesus, just to come and to, to take one of these sponges up here just as a reminder for these next 15 days to soak in Father's presence. Father God, I pray that this would be a turning point in the life and the history of the church at Severn Run as never before. I pray that because of the decisions made today, Father, that, that this church would be forever different because your people, Lord, are, are, are answering the, the problem of distance and they are running into your presence, Father, and soaking in your good. God, we have no place else to go. Only you are our answer. So in Jesus' name, we come. Now God's people say, Thank you for joining us today at the Church at Severn Run. Please visit our website at severnrun.com for church service information, staff directories, or for prayer requests. And if you're in the D.C. Baltimore area, we'd love to have you join us at 8187 Telegraph Road in Severn, Maryland. We look forward to worshiping with you.